Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. On today's episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Vanessa Hedinger, who is the general manager and master instructor of Quantum Speed. In 2003, Vanessa and her business partner, Stephanie Hanlon, founded Quantum Speed High Performance Skating Systems. The Quantum Speed System is designed on the principles of biomechanics, long-term athlete development, and game situations, and has found success with the consistent results that it provides. Vanessa has built her career on helping people find their edge. Her career highlights include working with thousands of hockey players from beginner to pro and winning three WHL championships and a Memorial Cup championship. She's been part of the coaching team of three WHL organizations, which include the Edmonton Oil Kings, Tri-City Americans, and Swift Current Broncos. Vanessa is one of the two recognized master skating coaches with Hockey Canada and is currently leading facilitator for Skate Canada. When she's not on the ice or at the helm of the business, she's continued to build her real estate portfolio. Listen in as Vanessa shares her journey of challenges in a skating industry along with real estate investing. Listen in. Enjoy. Vanessa Hedinger, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited about this conversation. Me too, Patrick. Okay, so let's give a little bit of background. I've known you a very long time. I've lost track, but it's got to be, what, 25 years? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Long At least time. Five years. You are uh, a yeah. partner to... Uh, my wife, your partner, Stephanie Hamlin, you uh, lead the skate tech team. And that's all I'm going to say. Now, when people ask Vanessa what you do, 
What do you answer? Well, that's funny. It just came up this morning. I met somebody new and I said, well, I run a hockey development company mm -hmm. um, called Quantum Speed. Mm -hmm. And we're in the business of developing hockey players and young athletes. And in truth, I really believe we're making a difference right now. Mm -hmm. I think that this might be a place where people need to go. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> well, that's my job. You know, I'm excited about this conversation because I think there's a couple aspects to it. Number one, you know, Skate Tech Group of Companies is uh, involves our retail business, my retail business, Stephanie's retail business, professional skate service. It also uh, involves skating success, which is another tangent or another part, division, if you will, of Skate Tech. But one of the main drivers and one that you're passionate about, which is Quantum Speed, which is, in fact, a hockey development program, a hockey player development program. Would that be a better phrase for that, Vanessa? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And Renette's in there too, but a player development program, yeah. um, people don't necessarily know what that means. So I usually lead with hockey, yeah. um, but player development, personal, personal development, young teenager development company. Yeah. Well, okay. And let's add one other layer of context to this. You know, you're also a real estate investor. So let's, let's not lose the scope of what you are. First and foremost, you're an entrepreneur and real estate investing is part of your entrepreneurial journey. And, uh, we're going to talk about that too, but what I really want to talk about, I believe, which I think will really uh, impact our listeners, is talking about the player development portion of what Quantum Speed is. You know, given that you've been doing this, how long has Quantum Speed been around now, Vanessa? Almost 20 years. Yeah. Our baby is like past being a teenager and yeah. into their young, young adult life. Yeah. Now, you know, for those of you uh, who maybe haven't seen a picture of Vanessa, we got to qualify and quantify this whole conversation. You know, first and foremost, you know, Stephanie started this many years ago. She worked with NHL players. She did all sorts of things, you know, which isn't the story here. The story is, is that Vanessa has been part of the you know, the Stephanie team, if you will, and now partnership uh, for many, many years. But Vanessa is, uh, okay, I, I don't want to say how tall you are, but you, how tall are you, Vanessa? Five foot three and a half. <laughs> Five foot three and a half. You know, the thing about Vanessa is, and this is a part of the conversation, it's important to understand, is uh, Vanessa is five foot three and a half. She's blonde, she's attractive, and she works with players that are on the ice that are 225 pounds and six foot four, and uh, as well as kids too. But you work with a whole range of players. And uh, I have to say that that in itself of a female in a male-dominated sport, ringette, you know, notwithstanding ringette and, and where ringette is in the world and, and women's hockey, that in itself is a pretty amazing feat given that to gain that credibility and listening of players, I think that's outstanding. So I want to talk about that a little bit. What does it take? I mean, it has to be, it had to have been at some point pretty intimidating. So tell me a little bit about that journey of what it was like. What was your mindset? What was your like, what were, what were some of the things that you bumped up against, uh, whether it be fears or challenges? How'd you overcome them? I think when I started out, I was just really motivated. Um, I had seen what Stephanie had accomplished and I thought, like, I want to be like that lady. And I wanted to have the respect um, of 
high performance athletes. And so I really held myself to that standard and I'll never forget being in Kamloops, BC. And so Stephanie and I are great partners um, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that she's got a very creative all over the place mind. And as her husband, you'd know that better than I would (laughs) even, but, but she's got the ideas and they just, you know, they'll go left, right, center, up, down, and they're everywhere. And for some reason, I really could understand what she was trying to say. And I have more of an operations mind. And like I would say to a fault, an operations mind, I'll read a book, I'll have a conversation, I'll go, oh, how do I implement this? Oh, how do I do this tomorrow? Like, how do I put 18,000 things into my day? However, one of the things that was really clear to me was way when we started, I was the guinea pig. So she would say, hey, I have this idea. And I think this is where our synergy really began, is that I was a really very good skater. And I was playing, I wanted to play for the Pandas, the University of Alberta Pandas. And um, you had the pleasure of knowing my dad. So my dad was a big impact in this whole thing, is he had met Stephanie along the way when he created, well, he didn't create it, I'm sorry. He joined the very first Um, board of directors for the Edmonton Girls Hockey Association. Mm -hmm. And so he was in charge of player development. And my dad, being the guy that he is, he just always wanted to look for the very best. And he said, you know what? These young ladies need the very best. And so he went and looked for, okay, who he thought was the very best. And that time, Stephanie was working with the Oilers and a man named Dan Peacock was actually working for um, the Golden Bears at the time. Very, very well-respected people. And so we were a bunch of peewee hockey players. We had never played hockey before, couldn't raise the puck. And he went and searched out these people. And Stephanie was just a no-nonsense lady. And I was like, oh, I kind of like her. And then Dan taught us how to how to hit, like body contact. So here we are with <laughs> these young girls. We're going to play against the boys. And yeah. we're, of course, in tier eight because none of us can raise the puck. But all of us could skate. And so we could skate and therefore we could hit. So we would just go and annihilate these guys. It was actually pretty hilarious. So that was that was a good confidence builder. And when I started working with Stephanie, and there's a whole bunch of stories that went into how that all happened, but we would go out to Kamloops together and we would work literally like eight, nine hour days. I don't know how we did it. Like skating around, that is inappropriate. But anyway, got it done. And so she'd always say, well, I have this idea. Well, why don't we try this or jump in and do this? And at some point she said to me, you know, Vanessa, if these guys are going to listen to you, you've got to be better than all of them. And so I remember we did this 30 second sprint and it is a killer. The guys still do it. NHL training camp where it's like down and back. You do it six times and you have to do it under 30 seconds. Mm. So let's say it takes you 10 seconds, you get 20 seconds off, or it takes you 30 seconds, you get zero seconds off. So I go down and back and I beat these guys. I beat them every time and they were just livid. Like these guys are playing in the BC hockey team, hockey league. One of the guys was playing in Europe and three guys were going to pro camp and here's me. And I was just like grinding. I was like, I'll show you. I didn't get a date after that for a very long time. Very long time. I went way to the other side. I went to like, well, I don't know if you remember this, but they used to call me Sergeant Ness like way back when, because there could be zero room, zero room. So like all these guys, like they were good looking, they were successful, they were interesting. And I was just like, nope, I want to be an NHL skating coach. Like that was it. I was just driven. And the rules were pretty clear. Like that was off limits. And especially when I'm 
killing them on a 30 second sprint, there wasn't a lot of interest there anyway. Well, I think there's a couple things that, you know, we, we have to point out here, you know, number one, and, and I think this is important for those listening is that, you know, Stephanie and Vanessa imagine females in a male world and none, there is zero room. There's no rumors. There's nobody that could ever say that was because she did this or she did that, or she dated him or she slept with him. Like there's none of that zero because that was a non-starter. You know, you guys went on the ice, your tracksuits were zipped up to your chin. You put ponytails on, no makeup, no perfume. You went out and you just outskated the guys. Like the performance that you put on, like you as a skater are awesome to watch. But when you're with a bunch of guys that are in their own egos around what they could pull off and that you're five foot three and a half or Stephanie's five foot eight or whatever the story is, the point is this, you left no room for any conversation other than we're here to do some business and you guys are going to get better skating. And uh, I'll just show you that you got a lot of room to grow. And so you kick their ass on the ice. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. Let's fair go back. Statement. Let's go back a little bit of a story because I think it's important. Your dad actually was the door, the person that opened the door for you to work with Stephanie. Mm -hmm. And there was a story about a dressing room door closed. Do you remember that story? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I love this story. So firstly, I learned from my dad that, well, I had a five-year plan in grade eight. I don't know if anybody <laughs> else had that, but... I did. I, I was very like rattled by it. I felt it was very Stalin-esque. I was kind of mad about it. But in the end, he was right. He said, you know, by the end, by the time you're finished school, you're going to teach piano and you're going to teach skating. You'll go to university, you'll make the um, under 18 team, or at least the tryouts for Hockey Canada. You'll um, play for U of A and you'll go to school. And so like he had all these milestones laid out for me. And at the time I thought that was really dumb, but in now in hindsight, it's like, wow, like he helped me develop all these skills, like sewing and like all these, all these life skills and all these interesting skills. Well, and then let's but just, let's inter I want to interject here just quickly. Oh, yeah. oh, on top of all the other things you've done, you're actually quite an accomplished pianist. Like you've done very, very well. You're, I get it. You're not concert quality, but you play piano epic. I used to be concert quality. Oh, you Second, did? Well, that was also good advice from dad was mm. first year university said, take whatever you think is interesting. In the end, it's all going to relate anyway. So yeah. I took piano performance. I took uh, fashion design. Mm -hmm. I took poli-sci, economics. I took um, coaching, of course. And I ended up with a certificate in globalization and governance. And I, I ended up um, having uh, my clothes um, in like a fashion show, one Miss Award thing. Wow. It was just like a lot of really cool things. And yeah. it really gave me a breadth of interests mm. that I can go to yeah. um, that actually relate to everything. It relates to coaching. It relates to people. But anyway, when it all came down to it, you know, dad also looked for experts in every field. Mm. He was an expert in his field. Yeah. He's a piano technician and piano rebuilder. Um, but he was just okay, like I've got this pretty talented young lady. She really loves to skate. That's what he said is he said, I don't know what she's going to do with this, but mm -hmm. she, every time I put her in some kind of skating thing, she seems to really like it. So he finds Stephanie. We kind of meet once or twice. She scared the pants out of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, you know, I think you should go and meet with this lady. And she said, if you're interested, she would potentially take you on as an apprentice. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds pretty cool. 
So my dad worked at the university. And so I walked over from his office. I walked over to the Claire Drake and Stephanie was running the, the hockey school, the Golden Bears hockey school. And so I watched and I watched this whole thing go down. And I was like, yeah, I think this would be fun. I think I would really like to do this. How old are you at this so point? I went, let's get, let's get it. Let's get a timestamp. You're oh, 14. Right. I was 14. Yeah. yeah. So never had a job before. I never had an interview before or anything, but I'd play hockey for a long time. So I went downstairs and uh, she was in the referee's room. And so I waited outside. And so I waited for this 15 minute flood. I waited and waited and waited. And finally, like two minutes before she had to go on the ice, she comes out and she looks at me. She goes, Vanessa, if you're ever going to get anywhere in this world, you're going to have to learn to knock on doors. Mm-hmm. And she walked away. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh. that is yeah. such a powerful story. And it's a statement of who you've become. Absolutely. Like, I I really have had some time to reflect over the last few days about the things that I have found so challenging. And I kind of guess like one of your questions was going to be something like, what were some of the life changing events or what are what were some of the corners turned? And Mm. um, I mean, that was definitely one of them. And there were just a a few that I just thought, wow, that was definitely a life changing moment. Mm -hmm. What if I hadn't done that? And how many people have never learned that lesson? Well, it's interesting is that we often talk when I'm, you know, interviewing people, there's a fork in the road. And I know like many, you've had several forks in the road. You could have gone right. You could have gone left to your point. You're 14 years old. You're intimidated by this particular person that you have on a pedestal. And uh, yeah, you, uh, you know, when even when she said that, you could have had the choice to go, whoa, this is way too much for me and walk away. But rather than do that, you showed up again. Absolutely. Yeah, I just waited another hour, called my dad, said, sorry, dad, I'm going to be late. And uh, I remember she said she had some errands she had to do. So I had to get in the car with her and we had this interview while she was driving. And then, as they say, the rest is history. The rest is history. So let's talk about, you know, I want to get early on, like I want to put this in segments a little bit. So, Vanessa, do you remember back then? And, and if you don't, that's fine. But do you remember back then any of your kind of, were you aware of any of your self-talk? Were you aware? Were you were you kind of fearful at that time? Were you just going, you know, were you 14 years old and going, wow, this is kind of freaky or this is kind of exciting? Do you have any recall of that at all? Yeah, I think the word at the time um, was definitely conflicted. There were two two types of person that I wanted to be. I wanted to be young and vibrant and fashionable and fun and popular and go on lots of dates. But then I also wanted to be very successful in this business. And for a long time, I found it very difficult to do both. I found them very dichotomous, like one or the other. And I'd say it was only like probably in the last six, seven years, probably since I met my husband, that I feel more like I can be both. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually really lent to my success in the last five or six years because I don't no longer have to be so aware of that boundary. Mm -hmm. I can be more myself and be a safe place for people without it being misconstrued, for example. Right. Now, let's forge ahead in this conversation when we talk about quantum speed and, you know, the evolution of quantum speed was the interesting one because, of course, you know, it was it started out as power skating, but then the realization at some point through growth and through Stephanie's journey to the Olympics and all the stuff that comes along, it became about this is not just power skating. Uh, this is really player development because, you know, what Stephanie and I know learned in the NHL was that better skaters or better players is not 
a technical aspect of it. Yes, you can teach them technically how to stride better or stop better or turn better, but there's a mental aspect to it in player development. Can you give us a little bit of background or dig into that a little bit? Because especially now in the past couple of years with the pandemic, that's really uh, started to show, to show up. So give us some insight into the concept of player development when it comes to skating and being a better player. I think um, in any successful business, there's a there's an understanding from the leadership that we're dealing with people, whether it's staff or whether it's clients. Um, people are unpredictable and people need help. People are lost and people need support. However, the other part of what we do in, in training people and coaching people is um, the first thing to get people into a place where they can actually listen is to establish trust. And so we worked really, really hard to establish trust and we had to always show results. And so basically within the first five or 10 minutes, I need to show a guy a result or I'm done. Mm. And so that became really inherent. And that process had to be done quickly in a way that they understood that we cared about them. And once we cared about them, then, okay, trust would be established. And then, okay, they're interested in actually learning and and developing. And so we've gotten really, really good at that interaction and um, really recognize that when a seminar, when when a conversation was introduced early on in the program that introduced our values and why we do certain things and and ask for that branch of trust, like more overtly than just on the ice, for example, it became a lot more effective. And in the last year and a half, it became necessary. We had to take a skating development company online. Like, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And we recognize we have a lot of skills in addition to skating development. We have, you know, Stephanie has a lot of accreditation and credibility in that world. But Uh, So does the rest of our staff as well. Mm -hmm. We've had those conversations. We've been those people. So at very least, we can bring forward some of our personal stories and help people to to understand or or to identify that in themselves. Mm -hmm. So it really has been a huge, impactful part of our business. And it's so baked in, we kind of don't even realize it until we go outside and we go, oh, shoot, like this environment is pretty special. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about environment a little bit. It's you know we often have these conversations. You know I do this with the real estate investment network team. We do this. It's, it's really a foundational to business operations, which is culture and environment. You know what is the culture of the business? What is the environment that people have to work within? You know, and of course we have all of the things that we want to do to provide an outstanding value for clients, and that's you know really at the core always. But when you look at quantum speed, you and I want to and the reason I want to talk talk about this because I know that we have lots of hockey parents. We probably have some players listening in. And so quantum speed was not just a power skating camp that you went to. I mean, you had developed a system. It was a systematic approach to uh, teaching players and coaching players to be better uh, skaters and better players, even just better people. So give me a little bit of background on how you guys did that and the evolution of that. Because you don't work with all levels. You kind of start, I think, at Peewee? I'm not even sure anymore. Is it Peewee where you start and then you go right up to pro? I mean, part of my role is developing coaches as well. Mm. And so our program will offer programs for younger players because I'm training those coaches to learn the system. Got it. And in order to learn the system, you have to learn all the elements of the system. So the system is made up of skills, but it's also made up of progressions. And it's very, very focused on communication and quick changes in 
uh, feedback. So for example, we'll we'll start with a particular drill and we'll know that we can go to A, B, C, or D. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we get the player feedback, then we go one direction or another. So uh, it's a system. It's always works. I've in 20 years, I've never seen it not work. Mm -hmm. Never. And part of that is our relentless nature. Part of that is like, wow, like our reputation is riding on this. So there's a there's a lot riding on this, but also it's people's career. And it just, the way that it's laid out, like section by section, it just is logical. It works. And so I, I don't know, it's very, it's challenging, I would guess, to be a client in the market right now, because this is a very easy industry to get into. There is no barrier to entry. So I could say, hey, like I'm going to start a power skating development company tomorrow. I buy a whistle and some ice and I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I can say whatever I want about myself. You know, like it's, it's, and parents only see what they see in like a four year span. Mm-hmm. So for example, they they know whatever else their peers are doing in that first year. And then the second year, they kind of hear about a couple other things. And then by the third year, they're like, oh, I wish I'd done that. And then it's too late. Mm-hmm. So it's really too bad because this system is really, if I could have every high-end player go through that system once, then they could do private lessons or they could do this or that with whoever. And it would just have an amplified effect. Mm-hmm. But it's just this foundational system. It works every single time. And it just brings the player, I always kind of make the joke, but it's not really a joke, that it's the difference between skating like a kid and skating like a man. Mm-hmm. And once they understand that, and they have to be at the perfect growth and development phase. So sometimes that's at 12 or 13 for a young man. Sometimes that's at 11 for a young lady. Sometimes it's at 15 for a guy. Like mm-hmm. it really depends where they are. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say the perfect time for quantum speed is when you trip over your own feet spill your orange juice and get mad at your mom. Mm -hmm. That's perfect because that's when you're hitting your growth phase and that's when you can actually retrain movement. So when we look at, uh, you know, if we're going to pass on some wisdom here to, like I say, to some parents who maybe have kids, you know, we talk about this often. And, you know, one of the things that we've discovered over the years is that it doesn't matter. This happens to be hockey, but it doesn't matter what the sport is. And it also doesn't matter uh, if it's sport or business. There's a there's an aspect of the mental performance. There's a there's an aspect of coachability that comes into play. So when we talk about coachability, give me a little bit of what your view of that is, because you've worked with thousands of players, like literally many thousands of players. You've seen all aspects mm-hmm. of it. What sets somebody who's mm-hmm. coachable apart from somebody who's not coachable? So coachable in the realm of you want to play in the NHL mm-hmm. is very clear. It's being able to take feedback unemotionally, implement feedback and have the athleticism to implement it well. Mm-hmm. So the reason, another reason it works so well at that 13, 14 years old is because they're usually already working out with a hockey trainer Mm -hmm. or a really high-end trainer. And there are some great, great, great trainers that teach athleticism. And so it doesn't matter if I'm teaching this guy to stand on his head or touch his toe or whatever, they can implement that Mm -hmm. from their brain through to their body. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, their growth is just exponential. But the coachability factor too, one of the things I have to say, even though parents probably won't want to hear it, is coachable doesn't always mean nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I appreciate polite hockey players. I really do. I appreciate um, kindness. Mm -hmm. I really do. But when we won the Memorial Cup with the Oil Kings, 
I was with that team for 10 years and there were a lot of jerks on that team. There were mm-hmm. three of them. There was one guy that just made my life absolute hell. But when I walked into the pub after they won and they should have been a pub, I know they were like 16, but anyway, when I walk in and they have the cup, he was the first guy to hand it to me. Mm-hmm. First guy. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that because mm-hmm. it takes all kinds. It's not always the nice guy that's going to get there. Like mm-hmm. you, you got to realize that coachability and appreciation and being a good person, it doesn't have to come in the same form all the time. It's not always nice guy. That doesn't mean nice guy. Mm-hmm. So let's go off on a little different tangent here. You know, I think we could talk a lot about hockey and hockey parents because that's a whole different conversation and how hockey parents yeah. can actually get in and hinder the what happens with their kids. But I think that's could be a little too controversial. So I'm not going to go there. What I want to do talk about with you is what you've accomplished over the past 20 years in the world of being an entrepreneur. And uh, many who go on the journey of entrepreneurship, you know, struggle. And uh, so when you look at your challenges and struggles as an entrepreneur, uh, female in a male world. Talk a little bit about some of the, I guess, you know, challenges that you faced mentally, emotionally. Uh, what did you have to do to get grounded, stay grounded? You know, let's talk a little bit about that side of the equation. You know, second guessing, questioning what you may be done. Let's, let's dig into that just a little bit because I think it's just helpful because as real estate investors, guess what? People second guess themselves all the time. And uh, this could be important to, you know, just to expand on concept. Yeah, I, I, as I get older, I still consider all the time, am I living in a comparison world? Like how much am I comparing myself compared to, Mm -hmm. or compared to, that's a funny choice of words, but how much am I comparing myself versus this is just what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge challenge in life, not just in entrepreneurship, is to look at life and say, this is the life that I chose and not having to defend it. I think the fact that being self-employed is just, it's inconvenient. It's all the time. It's fun. It's really annoying. It's like growth is my job and failure is my job. And it's just, it's really challenging. I think there have been a few challenges in particular, the last four years have been very challenging mm-hmm. in the years previously, the, the road to the NHL was pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And I believe like if a young eight-year-old says to me, I want to play in the NHL, I'm like, cool. I've seen a lot of you come through here. And I totally believe that that's possible. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't really like people saying, oh, you know, you're encouraging a dream that's unrealistic or something. And I'm like, no, like, dude, out of this program, we've seen a lot of people (laughs) make it to the NHL. A lot of people being, you know, getting their schooling paid for or living in a a great life because of hockey. So we've seen it. It's, It's totally realistic. But it used to be that, okay, so they'd finish the season in March and then there would be a week off or a couple weeks off, maybe a month off. Then they would start their trainer. Then they start skating with us. Then they, you know, go do their stick handling. Then they do a three on three and then they go to camp. Like it was just always that for about 12 years. It was that. And it worked really well. Like Edmonton was putting out hockey players like crazy mm-hmm. at the time when we were in Kamloops, Kamloops was putting out players like crazy then Edmonton. And then like we've been in Vancouver the last three years and 
those guys are kind of searching for normalcy again. Mm -hmm. Like Vancouver was the first one to have academies. Vancouver is a big private lesson environment, whereas Edmonton for a long time was just like anti-private lesson. Well, now Edmonton's kind of in that realm. And there's nothing wrong with private lessons other than you don't get a process. Mm -hmm. You get these random lessons here, there, and everywhere. And so unless there's a foundation, unless there's something underneath it that gives it a rationale, I just equate it to parents like a business plan. The more boring the business plan, the better. Mm -hmm. And so the business plan worked really well for a long time. And now like trainer friends, hockey development friends, like we're all saying the same story. It's like, people don't know what to do. Like mm -hmm. they think they have to go to Academy for $40,000, which is not a bad thing. Like my good friend of mine runs the giant academies of the world and he does a fantastic job. There's nothing wrong with it. However, what happens in the two months in between and does this happen? Does that happen? When do they escape the quantum speed? Like it's just, it's not clear anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that that's true in life right now. Like life is just messy and it gray is. and it is. like where's the where's the black and white like there just isn't that right now and i'm sure i'm not the only one to say it's a challenge but i'd say over the last four years it's just been murky now one of the things that you did and i think this is important because it's kind of cool that you guys uh pivoted in a world called the pandemic where ice arenas were shut down i know in alberta and ontario a little bit in british columbia things got limited and kids could not get on the ice i mean that's a tough one in canada to not be able to skate but there's some other things that came out of that which i found quite interesting which is how do you engage with a client so that they don't lose that momentum and one of the things that you did was you launched a leaders in training program uh what you called lit uh, for kids, it, it was for players. It was, okay, parents, you need some help in player development, your kids' development. Tell us a little bit about the leaders and training program that you did because that was innovative. And I mean, I think that any business, given what the pandemic brought, has to be able to look into the future and say, this is the future. This is where things are going. And although this is a, a kind of a progressional step, this is also long-term is what you've discovered, I think. So tell us a little bit about your leaders in training and how you guys pivoted to uh, look after the kids, look after the players. <laughs> yeah, players. Yeah. So it's always been a big value of ours in the business is that we should always be have a mentor and be mentoring someone. Um, also, we should always be coached. We should always be out there doing something that we're uh, not very good at. We have to learn or we have to just to appreciate again where all these people are coming from and how hard it is, like how humbling it has to be mm -hmm. for a young man to come to me and say, I need help. Like, I understand. and But in order for me to really inherently understand, I need to have that feeling every so often. So those are some of the core values. And we've always had young players who said, hey, we want to work with you. Like, it just seems like a really fun environment because it is. We make it look really fun and engaging. And we want these young people to have a safe place to come. And so for years, we'd take people um, like young, interested hockey players, ringette players, and we'd train them through the fall and winter. And then they would work for us in the summer. And it was just always that way, always that way. But for the last year and a half, we haven't been able to because there were just 
maximums on numbers or totally. no rice or yeah. whatever, you name it, it happened. And so this year we thought we still want to engage these kids. Like there were 25 of them that in some way they had connected with us and said, we want to work for you or we want to be involved or we want to volunteer or something. And so we really got inspired. And uh, last year we got really good at the online thing. We did some hockey fit. We did a book club and it was one of those moments. And I, I'm sure you've had this Patrick, but it was one of those defining moments for me where I just was a dog with a bone. I woke up with a thought and that was Thursday morning. Thursday morning, we got the indication that things were shutting down. And Monday morning, we had hockey fit up and running. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I just knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And I've never really had that before. Like not so overtly where I just, I just had this relentless feeling where I'm like, this is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it started with a book club around a book called The Champion's Mind. And it's just a really, it's a really good book for people to gather around and discuss because it actually talks about actions and asks you reflection questions. And so it just gives you like a really easy thing to dig into. And so Stephanie kind of got into her Rolodex and she called some of her figure skaters and we called some of our former volunteers. And so these guys, like one of them's in the Oilers farm system. One of them is the flames farm system. You know, one is playing at university. And so there's, they're just, they're very successful. And they also were looking for something to keep themselves busy busy and and give back or something like do Mm -hmm. something in their basement. Right. Sure. And so all these things kind of percolated and we thought, wow, like this leader and training program, as informal as it's been, it's been very impactful for these people. Mm -hmm. Like this young guy that is in the Oilers system says, you know, I like, he speaks very highly of it. Same Mm -hmm. as the guy in the flame system. Like they, they speak so highly of it because in their minds, it was a safe place to grow and a safe place to learn some of these leadership lessons where they weren't getting that other places. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, long story short, we, in April or May, we also had an opportunity to partner with a virtual reality uh, group that we've been in touch with for probably four years. And they finally rolled out their, I shouldn't say finally, like it took forever, but (laughs) it's been a process for them to um, get this virtual reality product out. And so we thought, okay, well, let's build it around this. So we had just interactive webinars and we had this virtual reality thing that they had to report back on and this activity watch and all this like cool technology. And then they chose their own special project based on our values. And so we call our values the quantum way. And it was incredible, incredible what these kids presented, like, There were 22 presentations um, live on Zoom, and these kids presented on how to be a stern leader. They presented on the biomechanics of skating, or they presented on their purpose statement and how they were going to live their purpose statement. And you should have seen the transformation in these kids. Like, oh my God, I had parents crying. I'm crying. Everybody's crying. I'm like, oh my God. And it just... It was, it was incredible to see what these young people can do. And one of the parents, what, what she said was, thank you for treating my kids because she has three of them, like they're people Mm -hmm. and they know stuff and Mm -hmm. they can do that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, because we don't teach them like kids. We've always said, we'll treat you like a professional right from the step, the second you step in the arena or anything with us. Mm -hmm. And it was 
uh, yeah, like, I don't know how we're going to recreate it. You know, like it was one of those moments in time where it was like, wow. And and I know we will. How? I don't know. But these kids are just so special. And mm. it was so important to me that they had something positive in their life and something, a positive place to have conversations. You know, then I hear on the flip side about young people committing suicide or having heart attacks and all these crazy things are going on in the world, yeah. but in my world with, with teenagers. And I just think, man, if we can create places for them to have positive conversations, that's it. Well, I think all we got to do it opens us up such an interesting conversation. You know, our, you know, I mean, anybody within skate tech, anybody within quantum speed, I mean, we're, we're all inspired to help young individuals to be their best selves, live their best lives. And you know what, that particular program that you guys launched was all part of, you know, really the, at the, you know, what's, it's kind of woven into the DNA of quantum speed or skate tech. But here's the other thing about it. And I want you to speak to this. And I know hockey's your thing or ring at or whatever, but I mean, you are quite accomplished in understanding sport overall. I mean, that's really uh, part of what you do. You golf and you've played lots of other sports and you've talked to, but let's give people a, a fundamental perspective because, you know, some parents go, no, hockey's too rough. It's too violent, this hitting and all these things. And that, but let's just take that off the side of it. Let's just talk about sport. And we talk about hockey, but give people a, a, some insight into why sport is so important to kids. Because it's not easy and it's not predictable. And these young people, uh, first of all, they need outlets. So I can't imagine, you know, these, and no offense parents, but 17, 18 year old boys spending 24 seven with their parents, like they've got to have some outlets and physical outlets and places where an they Xbox can go. Is, and, an, an Xbox is not enough or whatever the game is these, these days. They can have, I think they can have some conversations on Xbox. Sure. I mean, that's, I, I understand from some of our clients that that's a place that they connect. Cool. And I, and I actually get that. Like there yeah. are some really funny hockey guy interactions <laughs> sure. on Xbox and I'm not uh, privy to that and I never want to be, but, um, but I, but I get that that can be an outlet, the physical outlet and the, um, and also just the ability to build their self-esteem. So self-esteem through all of our research from everything that we know, self-esteem is built through not being good at something and pushing through to learn to become, to be good at something. So from everything that we know about self-esteem, it is built by not being good at something and becoming good at something. Mm -hmm. And so sport gives you an arena literally to actually do that. So a young man, for example, we met him last October. He literally couldn't jump with two feet. Like what? Couldn't jump with two feet, couldn't look you in the eye, couldn't have a conversation. And by August, he's presenting on on uh, zoom about his personal mission statement like incredible well i think when you talk about player development you're talking about really people development i mean think about the skills these kids went through the lit think about the skills that they take forward with them into life i mean when they get into mm -hmm. university when they go on to get a job i mean the confidence that they would have gained there but the same with sport you know you learn how to play with a team you learn how to train you learn how to be disciplined you learn how to interact mm -hmm. with other those are life skills uh, you know th mm -hmm. that's how i look at it what's your view as a coach are you are you literally teaching life skills or are you teaching hockey skills so i i think kids 
and teenagers are way more intelligent than all of us put together. And I never <laughs> talk to them like they're kids. Right. So they are the future. And I have more interesting conversations with 17-year-olds than I do with a lot of 45-year-olds. Like they're they're connected. They know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like the fact that they can develop themselves and be part of a team or deliver and communicate or understand what a leader can be. And then there are different attributes to leadership and that they can lead in different ways. I just think these kids are going to change the world. Like one of our young clients, I can talk about him all day long, but he came out um, and in July, July 19, he came out as the first gay man in the NHL. And him and I have been talking about that for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And he is going to change the world. And I got to just talk about that with him on well, the ice. And well, that's an interesting, just, wow. but it's something interesting that you bring to the table is that, you know, parents may not know that about their own kids, right? They, you know, they can have really great relationships with their kids. And that's not to say parents don't, but you come at it from a slightly different because you're, uh, what's the word, your your neutral territory or your uh, space that you hold for kids to show up. So you really do gain insights from that cohort, whether it be 14-year-old or 17-year-old or even 20-year-old, but that that mm-hmm. is a space for you that you're hearing and understanding things that even their own parents wouldn't necessarily see. Is, do you think that's the case? Absolutely. And I'm very careful with that. I would sure. never step over a line. And if there's something a parent needs to know, I'll tell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, just being an, an easy person to talk to. And I'd say I'm just that way in general. Like people just, I'll be at the grocery store and somebody will start telling me their life story. I'm like, I don't know, I guess I look like my grandma or something. But uh, but especially young people, they just need someone that believes in them sometimes that that actually will will listen and I'm happy to be that person and happy to refer them when needed. But Mm -hmm. the capability that they have is out of control. Mm -hmm. Like we were only going to let 13 to 17 year olds into this LIT program Mm -hmm. and three 11 year olds, like we couldn't say no. Mm -hmm. These kids are more well-spoken than most adults I know. And I was like, well, I'm no ageist. Whatever you need, bud. Well, you know, here's one of the fundamentals. I mean, within the Real Estate Investment Network, over the years, we've had many, many people on our stage. And we know that one of the greatest fears in life is public speaking. And uh, I've gone through that phase of going, what the hell? I remember 20 years ago when I first got on stage, it freaked me out. Uh, we've had many speakers that are going, I can't pull this off. I, you know, And we want them because they got so much expertise to share. But mm-hmm. how do they share it if they can't get on stage? stage and speak. And uh, so we've done lots of training, lots of understanding. And I think about if I was 11, you know, or 15 and would have been made, and I never was, by the way, I never had that opportunity or was within a program that would have me do that. I mean, these are skills that I think are just absolutely critical. And uh, especially now, given the electronics and Zoom and whatever new way of communicating we're going to have in the future, these these are really powerful tools for kids. Mm -hmm. Well, and public speaking is funny to me because I didn't realize from 14 to 24 that all I was doing was public speaking all the time. (laughs) And if I could speak to 20, 17, well, I'd I'd say 19-year-old hockey players, I can do anything. Yeah. Like these 100%. guys, the first year I started with the Oil Kings, I was just freaked, freaked. 
freaked right out and they just threw me to the wolves like here pass the puck here and do this and then I same year I started with Tri-Cities and that was the the most scared I've ever been was of that coach he is just he's known in the league as being a pretty he's a hard ass and uh by the end of the week I'll never forget it because he was on every single ice time and this is probably like 12 years into my career or something so getting pretty polished with the whole thing and uh anyway he was we went to the game and I'm wearing my little like my version of a suit I guess and so I walk in and he says Vanessa where's your suit and I was like this is it you look nice <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I got him. I got him. And still to this day, he's super, super nice to me. But anyway, he scared the pants out of me. Well, so let's talk a little bit about that because I know that kids, you know, they get intimidated. You, uh, you know, we talk about it a lot because it's it really is a big deal. I mean, you've worked with world-class, NHL class. I mean, you've award-winning as a coach. So you face some fears, you know, uh, you've had to bust through some of these big fears and the intimidation of it. And then you're working with players who are facing fear. So can you give us some insights, some tips? How do we face fears and still do it anyways? Like what are, because I still believe sport and what you do is, is all just part of life skills. You know, uh, mm-hmm. these kids are showing up, they're having to perform in front of their peers, even in a, in a skating class. I mean, gosh, you know, it's gotta be intimidating for a kid that is looking across the, uh, you know, across the, the ice at somebody who's the same age, Uh, but is, you know, a foot taller and has way more skills. I mean, how do you help people mentally get past their fear? How do you do it? Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny that you say that. Everybody wants to be a demo guy with us. That's like a big highlight. They want to be a demonstrator, a demo guy. And their first day of demonstrating, usually they toe pick or they like have the worst demo of their lives. And then they get totally ripped and they're just like, whoa, like, maybe I didn't want this. And so it's just uh, like, again and again, making those mistakes in front of people. And I think a, a big, a lot of the personal growth that I've done, at one point I just flipped or I no longer think of myself when I'm speaking in front of a group. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking, hey, do I have something in my nose or can they see that thing over there? Or like, mm-hmm. did I say that right? I just got really comfortable with there there's no longer anything in between my thought and my voice Mm -hmm. and that has been a huge gift and that's been a lot of personal work and a lot of work with you a lot of work with stephanie to get to that point but that point is when like the world opened up Mm -hmm. it's like wow because my communications level then just went off the charts Mm -hmm. and as you know as my staff members say as long as i'm clear it's awesome. If I'm not clear on what I want, then the whole team is a little discombobulated. Well, okay, a lot discombobulated. But on clarity, on those things that I know, there's no longer anything, any uh, self-talk or any words or anything that's in between the thought and the word, which is such a gift. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go totally in a different direction here. And that is talking about real estate. Now, you You've accomplished a lot in business in and what you've done with the business. Uh, you are, uh, you know, you've, you've, you're developing as a leader. You continue to develop as a leader. You're a great leader. Now, when we look at the other side of it is that 
you've also realized that as an entrepreneur, you're trying to grow a financial future. Real estate has been part of that. And, and you've invested in real estate and it always hasn't, certainly hasn't been easy. You've like, man, oh man, you've had some challenges, you know, stuff that is, and you bust through it. So let's talk a little bit about your real estate journey and, uh, and where you are today, given where you started and what you've been through. Tell me a little bit about what you got going on and, uh, Let's see how that conversation goes, because you've had to face some fears. You've had to deal with some issues. And uh, holy cow, tell me about it. Yeah, I think that was one of my biggest fears mm -hmm. is to come to terms with I didn't think I could be a landlord. Mm -hmm. I had a real, uh, real limitation set on myself that as small and blonde and um, not really handy, I couldn't be a landlord. Mm -hmm. And if I could change anything, I would have got over that in 1999. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I sure wish I had. Um, I, I mean, I didn't get started late, but I missed I missed that 2003 to five window. And mm -hmm. dang it, that would have been a good one to mm -hmm. get in on. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, I think the funniest story, Patrick, was when I decided I was going to buy a house. And so I was living in the condo just down the street from my parents and I had a roommate and it was going really well. And then I refinanced, even though he said I should get a line of credit, I refinanced instead, took out this 60 G's and I was going to buy a house. Now, the funny part was I just broke up with my boyfriend at the same time and I wanted to buy this house because he didn't think I could do it. Mm. And I was just like, screw you, man. And so I was like, gonna buy a house. And oh my God, like, I think I looked at like 15 houses. I had my heart set on this house. I call you and I'm like, okay, it's this and this. And you're like, I don't think it's that good. Like you're kind of not cash flowing here. And it's, and it's kind of in a weird neighborhood. And what about this? What about that? And I was just like, started bawling. I was like, no, this is the house. <laughs> like, 10 minutes later, I realized like, oh, this isn't about the house. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Patrick, gotta go. So yeah, that was, that was story number one. And then that house just keeps on giving, like that house is full of stories. Buddy. <laughs> so then next we decide we're going to renovate. And so, um, you know, there was a group of us that were all working together at the time and got it all done and that's fine. But in the meantime, they find extension cords in the ceiling. Uh, there was like thing after thing mm. after thing with the house. And I was just like, oh my God. And I was doing this government thing where it's called, it was called the cornerstone at the time and it was legalizing the suite. So eventually I got this legal suite, but then you could only rent to people that made up to a certain amount of money. Right. Well, that's fine. But there actually weren't that many of those people in Edmonton at that time. Everybody was just raking in the cash yeah so found this interesting dude still there so his <laughs> wife left him he thought he was going to die for about four years didn't die but now he is a grower <laughs> right he's a grower so yeah. he calls me and he says yeah so vanessa like i think it's legal now and blah 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 but you might kick me out and, like he's been there for probably 10 years by now right yeah. and so we have a pretty good relationship culminating in like this one month where he brought me his rent in loonies in a plastic bag. That's a whole other story because they took him off. Of this. <laughs> anyway, long story. So this just happened like two months ago. So he says, well, like I'm allowed to grow. So I do all this research and I said, yeah, okay, it's legal. And it's four, four plants. He gets rid of 36 plants. <laughs> 36. 
36 plants. I'm like, okay, okay. Anyway, um, but what I've learned is that landlording is like anything else. It's relationship. It's um, just putting putting money into the relationship bank. And so thankfully it has somewhat paid off over the last couple of years where people were unemployed and had mm-hmm. to kind of get their rent in here and there and everywhere. And yeah. it's okay. Mm-hmm. I won't say I'm completely even on that house. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ones seem to be going okay, but yeah. I have a lot of single men living in <laughs> all of my properties and I feel really bad because all their girlfriends just left them. Oh and boy. The Everybody's got a, every, everybody's got a story, don't they? Oh, uh, that's, yeah. so, that's so great. So as we start to wind down and, uh, Ben, you know, what I appreciate about the conversation is that I, I do believe that, you know, what you're providing and what you do within quantum speed, and, and, you know, with the player development with kids, particularly these days, uh, I think the uh, pandemic has actually been a game changer in a lot of aspects for people's overall development. And I think going into the future, of course, kids are our future. And uh, what you do with players is pretty uh, remarkable. And that goes, by the way, although we talk a lot about hockey, you know, in behind all that, of course, is other sport, like, well, not other sport, but ringette, for example. So it's not all young males. There's lots of young females in there that you're working with. And uh, it really is about making a difference in the world. And uh, so I do really appreciate that. I want to go back one little bit. Now, you're both, neither of your parents were entrepreneurial. Now, when you're making the decision to go down this whole route, where do you think, did you actually, were you aware of an entrepreneurial spirit that kicked in or did you just grow into it? Or what's your thoughts on how that evolved and where are you at with it today even? I actually think my dad was quite entrepreneurial. He did mm. have a piano store. He was big into investing. There he you was go. a day trader and he had a lot on the go, but he picked the safe route when he had a family. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, it was the right choice for him. But I no, I had no clue. I had no idea that this is what I was stepping into. But I had the support of my family. And they just said very clearly, she, my dad, I'll never forget it. He's, I said, okay, so Stephanie thought we should start a business. And I literally thought I was going to go work for the UN. That was my goal. I thought I was going to work for the UN or go into politics or something in that realm. And so Stephanie suggests this. And, um, at the time, like I was 21, I was just finished school. I was kind of working here and there. And so my dad just said to me, you know what? Just be the best. If you're going to do it, be the best. Be the best at what you do. And so that just always stuck with me. And so he just was very supportive. My mom, she she was hilarious. I'll never forget this. We were sitting at the rink and her and Stephanie's mom for a long time would do registration for us. They'd check in the players. So sure. anyway, they were super, super proud of us, always proud of us. But my mom, this is like typical Jane quote. She looked at me and she said, Vanessa, like, what do you teach these guys? What do you teach these guys? And like, she just could not understand that there was anything valuable that I would be teaching them. It was the best. It was like, thanks, mom. But she still come watch. She's just like, good for you. So when you uh, when you when it comes to a business model, I mean, whenever you can provide amazing value in being a contribution, then. I think you're hitting a home run all the time. Can you do that effectively? Can you execute? Can you make it profitable? That's all part of business. But every day you guys are making an impactful difference in people's lives. And to me, that really is. And that's what speaks to 
I don't like to use the word success, but it really does speak to a lot of success. Is there a moment in time where, or is there something about what you do and the contribution to these kids? What shows up for you as like, what gives you the most satisfaction? I think it's in the moment. I try not to get too attached to, you know, to their results or whatever. Like it's, it's pretty hard to say, oh, you know, that guy skated with us for eight years and now he's playing in the NHL. So therefore it was our, because of us, like that is not, not true. I think it's more the, in the moment connection Mm -hmm. and seeing someone, you know, like they say, have that light in their eye where Mm -hmm. they realize something about themselves Mm -hmm. and where they grow just a little bit taller. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just, I really enjoy being around the energy and the fun and the and the willingness to be something more than they are today mm. and whatever the, whatever it takes in like the, whatever it takes attitude, but also what comes along with that. And some people really, they know how to have fun doing it. They know how to enjoy that process of adversity and pushing and pain and you know, all that. And it's, it's pretty addictive. It's 20 years later. Yeah. And then I meant to do three, four years and 20 years later, it's still just as fun. Yeah. And I think it's just that it's the in the moment connections and the enjoyment and just watching them in that one one moment. Living a life of contribution. I love it. I think it's amazing. So as we wind down, of course, we always get to our rapid fire questions, Vanessa. Uh, can't let you off the hook. And uh, Perfect. You, you're ready to answer some questions. Talk fast, skate fast, do everything fast. Go. <laughs> okay. That's great. Favorite book or a gift book that you gift a lot? Most impactful? Uh, Ego is the enemy. Ego is the enemy. Big one. It's a good one. Favorite swear word? Oh, the F word. You're an F bomber. Yeah. Um, do I know that to be true? No, I always, you're always polite. You're always the, you're always the, you Matt, know. You've never been on the ice with me. Yeah, that's true. And there's a place where it's, it's, the best word when used with the element of surprise. Ah. And so you don't expect it from me, which is why it's very impactful. Mm-hmm. I'm always at the effect of, Patrick, I'm sure you meant to say please. Okay. <laughs> Android or iPhone? Oh, yeah, iPhone. iPhone, of course. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Well done. Your room, your desk, or your car? What do you clean first? Ooh, all of them in one day. <laughs> Ask James about it. I, he calls it beeping. Vanessa's beeping again. And so I had the August beeping list, and he clicked, like, he scratched it off, said August slash September, and it's already done. See, August 31st, said it. You just get shit done. And, and that yeah. includes a clean car, a clean desk, and a clean room. Absolutely. Good for and you. And a clean closet. <laughs> and a clean closet. Okay. Do you, uh, I know you're a music lover and uh, do you have a favorite tune? Well, I'm a bit of a music. Yeah. You uh, are. Changes a, yeah. You're a music minutes. diva. Yeah. You are. You, yeah. You've got it. Yeah. I, I like all types of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I like, I am the pop lover. I yeah. love Bad Habit right now. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? Mm, I'm not a big movie person, but probably 80s, like Pretty in Pink or something. Yeah. <laughs> Always loved Molly Ringwald. Okay. And what about a favorite quote? Do you have an inspirational quote that kind of uh, comes to mind? 
Absolutely. Uh, it's not about what people do. It's how you make them feel. Mm. Or it's not about what you do. It's about how you make them feel. Yeah. yeah. And you're really good at making people feel good. Thanks, dude. What are you grateful for, Vanessa? Uh, friendship, relationship, a beautiful home. Having a life where I can uh, have fun every day. Fantastic. I'm always grateful for my guests. I'm particularly grateful for the opportunity to uh, actually uh, have a conversation with you on the Everyday Millionaire podcast. And of course, to have you in my life. And uh, I'm also grateful always for my wife. And I'm particularly grateful for my health. So, uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join me on the podcast today. Thank you, Patrick. That was so much fun. Thanks, Vanessa. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.